It must be Thursday. Welcome to Learning Unwrapped, the podcast about your most important life skill, learning. A baby girl is born to a mom and dad, both of whom are deaf, but the little girl is not. Does this sound like the script from the three-time Academy Award-winning show, CODA? Actually, it's the life of a woman who is the head of global learning for IDE Corp and the producer of this show. Please welcome Marisa Schomer. Hello, Nancy. Well, it's great to have you here on the other side of the camera. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the, the lights are shining bright here. It's different than being backstage, but I'm excited. Thanks for yes. having me. It is exciting. And it's so fascinating because your life and the stories you've told have been fascinating to all of us who work here at IDE Corp. But now we get to let those stories out for the world to hear. So first, I have to ask, what did you think about the movie, Coda? And did your parents watch it as well? Yeah, so my parents actually watched it first. And, you know, it immediately got on a FaceTime call with me. And they're like, you, you have to watch this. We don't want to say anything until you watch it. And then we have to talk. So I actually got to watch it with my sister, who's hearing. And it was very emotional when we watched it. Uh, there were a, a lot of parts that we'll get into that are very similar uh, that I could relate to. And then there are parts that are so different, but I overall just thought it was that, that they just did such an amazing job and having so many of the actors actually deaf and signing. And you could just tell watching it that they put a lot of care into the way that it was created and the way that it represented deaf people, which was pretty exciting. Well, I think it was so important that they had deaf actors to make it that much more believable, to make it a real life experience. Absolutely. The conversation I think about is how we talk about how we need representation in books. We need representation in movies. And you can't create a movie about a deaf family without deaf actors. That's just, that's not the right way to do it. So they did it the right way. So I'm guessing then your parents and you and your sister felt like this was an accurate representation of the situation. That's an interesting question <laughs> because <laughs> I think the thing with representation is everyone's story is different. So we watched it, you know, it was interesting to critique it and go, oh, but that's not, that's not my experience at all right? Like I have deaf parents, but that's not like what my experience is like. But that's kind of the point, right? Is we don't, if we don't have enough examples of stories of CODAs and stories of deaf families, then you think that there's only one narrative. So we watched it going, wow, this is like, of course, there's lots of different types of deaf people, just like there's a lot of different types of all types of people. But I think that's the point, you know? You do make a great point because it was important that in that particular situation with that particular plot, then it was an accurate representation of deaf people, but the plot itself is going to change. So for example, a big part of that plot was the fact that the parents own their own business and they needed their hearing daughter for that business. I'm assuming that was not the plot of your life. It definitely wasn't. <laughs> I was not uh, working on the, the boat before school in the morning. Uh, so of course, right, there's differences like that. But it, it makes me think of deaf culture and how 
my parents had a, and my family had a, I have a really different perspective in terms of, uh, we talk a lot about uh, death with a uppercase D, capital D death, and then lowercase D death. And we use the lowercase D to talk about deafness in terms of like the, the medical definition of like not being able to hear, where we talk about capital D deaf as more of that's like deaf culture and deaf pride. And just like any other culture that you're a part of, you have that tie to your culture, you have that tie to your community. And that was one thing in the movie that they didn't necessarily have that my parents have is that tie to other deaf people. They were, it was more of a story of a, a girl who was really the bridge between her parents and the hearing world, which I've experienced at times, but also with my parents, they really had a really strong community around them of other deaf people that made it a really different type of story. That's fascinating because in the movie, you felt like the, the mom and dad and brother were always navigating social situations, not being able to hear. And if the daughter wasn't around, you know, they were kind of stuck. And that, you know, I, I felt great pain in watching those parts of the movie. And what you're saying is that is not always typical, sometimes perhaps, and perhaps where they lived. But then again, you came from Minnesota. What, did you live in a more rural area of Minnesota or more toward the cities? Yeah, I lived Minneapolis adjacent. So I grew up in Bloomington. It was I was definitely in the city. And, you know, my parents had access to interpreters. They had, they were very independent people. And I never felt that obligation of my job to make sure that they, you know, that I have to interpret for them. When I had school conferences, I had an interpreter. When they went to the doctor, they had an interpreter. And, you know, there's definitely times that I stepped up and did that, of course, that's just kind of what, what, what you do, but I never, um, I had, I had a very different experience. Right. Because you lived in an area where there was a much larger deaf community than was presented in the movie. Absolutely. All right. So I thought it was a great movie and kudos to the whole team for the Academy Awards. I thought it was also profound that that movie won the Academy Award. And I think it's bringing a lot of awareness to people everywhere about the deaf community. So when did you first realize that your upbringing was different than those around you? And did that have an effect on you? My experience wasn't really um, like an all at once experience in terms of that realization. Uh, I think the biggest shift for me was when I started going to school, you know, when I started going to preschool. And I, I do have, you know, memories of talking to other kids and, you know, coming home and realizing like, wait, not everyone has deaf parents. That's weird, you know, and then you and then you get older and people start asking you like, well, what's that like? And you're like, I don't know, what's it like to have hearing parents? That sounds insane. You have parents who can hear you? You know, I I don't even know what that experience is like, but I don't have a defining moment of that realization. Although I think it just happened gradually as I got older, starting to realize like, oh, okay. So life is a little bit different for me now that I'm like seeing my friends, parents, and I go over and visit their houses, things like that. So how did you, as a pre, before preschool, how did you learn how to speak? That's a really good question. I get asked that a lot. My parents were not the only adults that I was around. My parents are both the only deaf person in their family. So I was, you know, surrounded by grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles. And my parents speak and sign. But it's one of those weird questions where I, 
I talk about it with my parents a lot and we go, huh, you know, I have a lot of friends who are CODAs and none of us had issues with speaking at all, even though some of their parents are nonverbal. So it's like, how, how do you even learn how to do that? But I, I learned how to speak and sign at essentially the same time. And I never had any delays. I actually think I learned how to read. I was the first person in my class that knew how to read. I knew how to read before I went to school. And I think a lot of that came down to like, maybe you watched a lot of TV with captions. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I learned how to speak from the TV. <laughs> sure. I was going to say you can probably credit TV also, because if you're watching yeah. TV and then if your parents have on uh, the closed captions, now you're hearing and seeing words at the same time. And just to make sure that our listeners are in the know, what is the meaning of the word CODA or the acronym CODA? Oh, yeah, we should definitely explain that. Uh, so CODA is child of deaf adult. Sometimes they even spell it K-O-D-A, kid of deaf adult, but CODA with a C is more common. So what was the biggest challenge of growing up as a CODA? I think it goes back to communication, which makes sense, right? Uh, I definitely had to learn at a really young age how to communicate with my, how to navigate, like communicating with my parents versus communicating with other hearing people and kind of straddling between both of those worlds. One of my favorite stories to tell is when I was in first grade, my teacher thought that I had a problem with stuttering and they brought my dad in and, you know, explained to him like she's, you know, she's stuttering a lot at school. Like we need to get her into speech therapy. And my dad was like, no, she does not have a problem with speaking. And they're like, no, really? Like she stutters at school. And he said, she doesn't do it at home. And he turned to me and he said, Marisa, are you, have you been signing at school? And I said, yeah, I sign everywhere. And he said, okay, Marisa, you can sign at home with us, but when you go to school, you can just talk. Like you don't have to sign. And what was happening is my poor little hands couldn't keep up with how fast I wanted to speak. And I was stuttering to slow my speech down. And once my dad had that conversation with me, like, no, no, you sign at home and you speak at school with other people, that's okay. And it was completely fine. My teachers were like amazed. They, they literally thought that it was a completely different issue. Well, how good for him that he picked yeah, up he on knew. that, right? <laughs> right? Now, did you have formal American Sign Language training? Because you still primarily sign with your parents. I've taken a couple, you know, introductory classes that it was like an easy A in college, right? But I, I was not formally I love trained. that, an easy A in college. <laughs> it was. Like, I might as well take it. It's going to be really easy. But I, I was never trained. And when we talk about ASL, American Sign Language, it's very similar to Spanish, where you, you have like the, you, the verb, you say the verb first, um, or you sign the verb first. So I actually sign probably a combination of ASL, but also like kind of a, in, like a more English version, kind of like a slang at home sort of version. ASL. Kind of broken ASL because it's like that. It's like home signs, uh, and I know that when I'm when I'm signing with other deaf folks, like my parents' friends, I totally step my game up in terms of ASL. But when I'm at home, it's like that. It's slang language. I learned how to sign before I learned how to speak. So my first sign was ball, and then I learned how to say words after that. Not milk. I always see that they're teaching babies how to say more, how to say milk. You know, how to say words to get fed. 
I think that's one of the really cool things about sign language is if you teach your children sign language, even if, you know, you don't have an association with the deaf community, there's so many benefits. Like kids can sign those little baby simple signs much earlier than they can speak. It's a, it's a cool thing to be able to like communicate with, a, with an infant that you wouldn't normally be able to talk to. Well, it's interesting that anyone out there who has the actual terms and knowledge of this, please forgive me, but there is something in the development of a baby that in the beginning, the voice box is not in the way of being able to swallow because the intent is for you to be able to drink and eat so that you're not choking. But then, you know, at a certain age, the voice box then actually kind of shifts into place and that's when you can speak. So before that, no matter how hard you try with a baby, they're not going to be able to really speak until their voice box is appropriately aligned. And so American Sign Language has actually become, or perhaps baby sign language, has become a real trend for parents who want to allow their babies to be able to communicate, um, assuming that it must be very frustrating to not be able to let people know what it is that you want. So it's powerful. Now, do you think others would benefit from learning American Sign Language? Oh, I think everyone should learn American Sign Language, honestly. I think it's a beautiful language. I think it's so different in the way that there's so many benefits. My partner also signs, and we find ourselves in public, you know, signing all the time. Instead of having conversations, we'll be at dinner and those awkward, you know, dinners where your elbows are touching someone that you don't know very well in a small restaurant, you can sign instead. Uh, and so we laugh all the time, like everyone should know how to do this, learn a little bit of sign language. My parents are always so impressed when they go to, you know, a grocery store or a restaurant. And even when people don't know great signs, when they at least make an effort and they know like simple things, thank you, you're welcome, hello. They're always so impressed when people come up and sign with them and people always are a little bit uncomfortable, like I'm not very good. But they're always like, oh, it's just so great that people like can recognize that I'm deaf and then make an effort to communicate with me. Like why, you know, I think people get a little bit nervous sometimes if they don't know any deaf people, but they know a couple signs. Like I don't want to seem too in your face about it. But my experience with my parents and with their friends is always like embrace that. Like we, you know, we would we would love for you to come up and test out your signs on us. Like, why not? They get a kick out of that. So we should lean in, learn some of the phrases and words you might use out there. You know, please, excuse me, thank you, how are you, whatever, that you could then lean in and give it a try. Yeah, why not? So now we already established that you have a sister slightly younger than you uh, who is also hearing. So the picture I'm seeing is two hearing kids in a house with two deaf parents. There must be some stories to share, Marisa. Oh, I mean, we have so many stories. Funny now to be an adult, you know, going back and reflecting on all those stories with my parents and, you know, filling them in on some of the things that they maybe didn't know about at the time. But our house was a very loud house. Let's just say that. Uh, people, I think, always think like, oh, your house must have been so quiet growing up with two deaf parents. And it's like, no, it was extremely loud because I never had, had anyone telling you to turn down the music. I would have friends over for sleepovers. We, I mean, we could literally just be like screaming until the wee hours of the morning. And it was fine. It was, it was, a, it was a great time at <laughs> That's my house, funny. right? I also couldn't go anywhere else because I was kids like- Kids everywhere saying, kids. why not me? <laughs> 
and I'd go to someone else's house and they'd be like, Marisa, shh, like my parents are sleeping. And I'm like, who cares? <laughs> we got very, very close. We're very close to this day, but we were inseparable in the way that, you know, we had this experience that, you know, a lot of other people didn't have. And we shared this bond of like, it was kind of like, when you're a kid and you know you're getting in trouble with your parents and all those kinds of things i felt like i had like my my ride or die because we could go and have like a conference and figure out like a strategy of how we were going to approach mom and dad and we were able to do it in a highly secretive manner <laughs> that's funny <laughs> now uh we will be creating a transcript of this so that your parents will be able to read your interview is there anything you want to tell them? Something that perhaps you two got away with that they don't know about yet? Oh, they know everything. There's nothing to share. <laughs> they <laughs> They've learned know it all. everything. They've learned it all. Uh, I always thought my parents were really strict. And they were. And I, I think a big part of that was that feeling of there's, there's a lot we can't control. And I think you always feel like that as a parent probably, right? But I think that it was a little bit harder to open up those lines of communication sometimes, not from like a literal standpoint, we could talk just fine, but we were coming from two different perspectives and two different worlds. There was probably an extra layer of decisions and discussions between the two of them of, you know, how are they going to approach things that you always have to have with, with teenagers who want to, you know, sneak around and bend all the rules but with two hearing daughters. It's, it's a, a world that many of us don't even think about. And so I think it's great that the movie raised awareness. And now that we can interview you as well, because it's as a result of the movie that we decided, oh, we should interview you to hear even more about it. So although you've been out of your parents' home for some time now, because you're very old, right? Uh, <laughs> how has being a CODA shaped you as an adult? I do think that there's so many pieces of like my personality, but even just in my mannerisms that come across from being raised by two deaf parents and being really raised in the deaf community. I think I'm very expressive as a result of that. Uh, I'm very talkative. Deaf people love to talk. Like deaf people love nothing more than just to sit around with their deaf community. And they always sit in a picture of big circle so everyone can see each other well, right? Uh, the most deaf friendly table is a, is a circle. And they love to just sit around and they talk for hours. And I do think that that shapes like me in terms of how I interact with people. Like I love to just sit around and chat. And also that, that expressiveness. When I was teaching my students, their game to play was like, let's see if Ms. Schomer can teach the entire class or like the entire 45 minutes without using her hands. So they would be like, put your hands <laughs> behind your back. And I would give my lesson and see if I could do it without using my hands because I'm just like, you know, putting hands everywhere. And they knew it was, it was part of, you know, my, my upbringing of signing and talking at the same time. And they thought it was just the funniest thing. So that's definitely has shaped my personality today for sure. So let's unwrap the learning. I want to ask you what advice you could give the hearing population for promoting inclusivity. So we already know that restaurants should get round tables. Um, and I think it's funny <laughs> because I design learner active technology infused classrooms, which are very social settings to engage, empower and build student efficacy. 
and I know, Marisa, I'm not telling you anything new because you work here doing the same thing. But for our listeners, prior to COVID, I was promoting 42-inch round tables in the classroom so kids could be more collaborative and be more social. And I hadn't thought about the fact that that does allow you to really all see one another instead of being in rows where you have to turn to the right, to the left, like you're really a little microcosm society. And I can't help but think that that was a powerful part of LATIC. And then when COVID hit, a lot of schools, you know, put those tables aside and brought back the rows of desks. And it'll be interesting to see if our clients revert back to bringing the tables in once we feel we've gotten far enough past it. But so the table, a comment fascinated me, obviously, but what advice can you give the hearing population for promoting inclusivity? I think something that's interesting is that capital D versus lowercase d. The hearing world views deafness as a disability and something that, you know, like, oh, no, they can't hear. Sure, deaf people are like, yeah, we'd, we'd love to hear music. We'd love to, we'd love to do that. But that capital D is so important because they don't view deafness as a hindrance to them. They view deafness as just part of their identity and part of this like beautiful, rich culture that they have. So I think the more hearing people can like really start to look at it as more of these are just people that are part of a different culture. And we want to, you know, be able to connect in a lot of different ways to people that are different from us, the more that that's it becomes less of a thing and less of like a what they can't do and more of like what different perspective can people who are different than you bring to your life. And it's a powerful statement you make that it's not considered a deficit to the deaf community. And if you think about it, I would imagine conversations are much more rich because people are looking at one another, making much more eye contact and connecting with one another than in the hearing world where we just scream, uh, you know, comments, questions into the other room. <laughs> of course, that meant as a child growing up, you could never just sit on the couch watching TV going, Ma, could you bring me a soda? A lot um, of eye contact. A lot, lot of eye contact. Well, Marisa, <laughs> it was such a pleasure having you here. Thank you for coming out uh, from, you know, behind the cameras to share more about being a CODA. I think this is a fabulous topic and I appreciate your sharing. Thanks for having me. This was so much fun. And thank your parents for raising you right, because you're an amazing human being. And we all love having you here at IDE as our head of global virtual learning. Such a great title. Oh, I'll definitely brag to them about this later. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a wrap. I'm glad you could join me. I hope you'll subscribe, like, and share this podcast and help me spread the word about the power of learning. Till next time.